Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this season to think on Jesus, that he came for us and that he's coming back for us. Let that sit deeply within our hearts and minds. Let it transform our lives, how we live, how we relate, how we love, how we treat others. We pray for your Holy Spirit to work in us. Encourage and equip us in every area of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year. For the honor and glory of our King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The beginning of the third canto of Dante's Inferno. He gets ready to enter hell. He was lost in the forest. The spirit of Virgil rescues him and brings him and is going to take him to the mountaintop. And as he stands at the gates of hell, this is what he reads above those gates. Through me, the way is to the suffering city. Through me, the way is to eternal pain. Through me, the way among the people lost. It was justice that moved my creator. Divine omnipotence created me. The highest wisdom and the primal love. Before me there were no created things, only eternity. And I too last eternal. And this may be the most famous line from Dante's Inferno. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Abandon all hope. Hope. Hope is something that all of us need. Sometimes it's for what we're going through in our life at this moment. For some, it's this season. This can be a very rough season. As wonderful and as beautiful as all the lights are and the presents and the garland and everything we look forward to, this is also a season that is super, super busy. And every year it seems like there's more expectations placed on us from Christmas cards we're supposed to give to everybody to all the things we're supposed to attend to all the presents that we're supposed to buy and who we're supposed to buy them for, who we're not supposed to buy them for, and more and more pressure. And then you have all of the people that associate this time with people that they've lost. This can be a very hard, dark time, even though it's Christmas. And for all of us, there are just things in our lives that make it challenging. We need hope. I don't know if you can see my water bottle here. It is filled about halfway up with water. And if I did a show of hands, and we're not going to, but if I did a show of hands and I said, raise your hand if this is half full, and then raise your hand if this is half empty, there would be hands on both sides. Is it half full or is it half empty? Which one is it? If you are a person that says this is half full, you may be described with words like, you're an optimist. You think positively. Those types of things. 
what I want to say to you about hope, it is not that. Hope is not optimism, not biblical hope. I asked my son the other day as we're driving to school, because we try to have really deep conversations. It's the only time he's halfway alert is when he goes to school. By the time he gets home, he's gone. I said, Keenan, what is hope? His first answer was, it's a park. <laughs> How many of you have been to Hope Park? It's a beautiful place. Yes, it is a park. Um, what else is hope, buddy, other than a park? How do you use the word hope? And he thought for me, he said, oh, I got it. I hope I get to watch a movie tonight. You can keep hoping. It's a school night. You're not watching a movie. That is not the hope that we're talking about. That's a wish. That's a want. Um, That's a maybe my parents, if I'm nice enough, will let me do this. Wishful thinking, optimism, those are not what we're talking about. Biblical hope is when you have this water bottle... And you have this. Because it doesn't matter whether you say this is half full or half empty. It has the same amount of water in it. I don't care if you're an optimist or a pessimist. It has the same amount of water in it. But if you have this, it doesn't really matter if this is half full or half empty. Because you can refill it. Biblical hope is a certainty, an assurance of something that maybe you can't see it yet, but it is a certainty, an assurance, not wishful thinking, not I'm optimistic about this, not I'm visualizing my future and it can change things. Hey, optimism is good. Wishful thinking can be helpful. It doesn't change how much water is in this bottle. No matter how optimistic you are, it's the same amount of water. And by the way, no matter how pessimistic you are, it's the same amount of water. Hope, when we talk biblical hope, it's a certainty. It's something that is going to take place, going to happen. That's what we want to talk about tonight, this morning, wherever we are. Biblical hope. If you would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Our gospel reading actually started quite a ways into this chapter. And what you will notice if you take a cursory look at Mark chapter 13, this is what is typically referred to as an end time passage. This is about the second coming of Christ. And what I want to suggest as we dive into this passage is that the way that these passages are often used is not the way they were intended to be used. These passages are often used as a kind of roadmap to the end times. They're used in such a way that if I follow what Jesus lays out here, I could kind of chart things, and in the extreme use is even where people will go, that's happening in the world, that's equal to this thing here, and they're using it like a roadmap to determine what's happening, where we are, how far along we are, when he's coming back, all those types of things. 
I want to say to you that I firmly believe that is not at all what he intended by this. And I want to give you two reasons just quickly why, and then I'll dive into the passage. Number one, he is intentionally vague when he talks about the end times. He talks about earthquakes and famines and wars. and I mean, it's intentionally vague. There's no, like, there's this war. Or when you get five earthquakes in a row, then you know you're right here. It's very vague. And then number two, in this passage, Jesus actually says to his disciples, I, that is Jesus, do not know when this is going to happen. Now, my dear friends, if there is anybody telling you when Jesus is coming back, please don't follow them. Because if Jesus doesn't know, I guarantee you nobody on this earth does. And everybody who has proclaimed when it's going to happen so far has been wrong. And sadly, even when they're wrong, they then sometimes find another date and people keep following. And then they're wrong and they just find another date. Please don't follow So what is this passage about? Let me give you a little background before we dive in. Right before chapter 13, at the end of chapter 12, they are in the temple. They are watching people put money in the offering plate, the box, which could you imagine how awkward that must have been? I mean, how would you feel like if as the plate was going around, I was doing this? But here's Jesus watching people drop stuff in the offering box. And like they're rich people dropping in all of these rich amounts of money. You know, dropping a thousand here and ten thousand here. And you're hearing the coins go bang. You know, like it's raining gold. And then here comes this little lady by herself. She's got two little coins that you can barely even see in her little hand. She drops them in. You kind of hear a tink. That's it. And Jesus goes, hey, disciples, come here. Here's what I'm imagining. They were so amazed by all these people dropping all this money in. They're going, wow, look at how blessed these people are. Look at how blessed the temple is. Look at how God is blessing us. Look at how our future is set because all this money coming in and God is just raining his blessings down. Oh, and then there's this lady that dropped in like two little coins. And, and I know this isn't in the text, but I can picture Judas going, I can't even believe she did that. That's not going to help anything. And he calls them to himself. And I can just imagine them all going, oh, he's going to say something about that lady. He's going to talk about how she you know, didn't do much and that we need to be more like the rich people and we've got to pray so God will bless us and all these things. And, and instead he goes, she put in more than all the rest. And I don't know if you can imagine what they would have done at that point. I mean, not only is that really bad math, but that is just like, I can see them going, what? What? Did you miss it? Like, did you think it was the person before her? I mean, she was the one that just dropped in the two little coins. And he says, she put in all she had. They gave out of their riches. She put in all she had. You see, here's the difference. 
Her trust was not in money. Her trust was not in the position that she had that would provide more. Her trust, and especially for this passage, was not in the temple. And here's a little background. The temple was a symbol of Jewish hope. There's a Jewish writer who talks about the fact that from 200 years before Christ all the way through the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, multiple people claimed to be the Messiah. Do you know where they made the proclamation? At the temple. Because the temple was a symbol of their hope. This was the symbol that God was with them. This was the symbol that they were still strong as that temple stood. There's another Jewish writer. He's from a group called Rabbis Without Borders. And he writes about how even after the destruction of the temple, up until this time, while the Jews had been spread all over the place, they were still hoping in the land and the temple. It kept them going. Through all these years of being away from their land, they're still hoping for it. Because the temple was a symbol of their hope. Not for this lady. God was her hope. You see, the difference between the two is that she completely gave up her lifeline. She said, I'm fully dependent on you. I'm not just saying I trust you, but I've got all this thing over here to fall back on. She completely gave it all up. And he says, she gave more than all the rest. Now, the disciples don't get this because they walk out, and here's what happens. And as he came out of the temple, verse 1, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Look at the way that God is blessing us. Look how strong we are. Look at the hope that we have. It doesn't matter what goes on with Rome or anybody else. Look at this. God is with us because of this place. And Jesus said, Do you see these great buildings? Yeah, we see them. They're amazing. They're awesome. They show us all these things. There will not be here left one stone upon another that will, another that will not be thrown down. All right now, the look on their face with the, the woman was something like, what? This one is, huh? I mean, like their, their jaws just dropped to the floor. You're kidding. No. That can't even be possible. You can't tell us that this is going to crumble. The temple is going to fall? And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Um, they have a little bit of time between the temple and the Mount to kind of wrap their minds around this. And, and here's what they're wrapping their minds around. If, if the temple, our symbol of God's presence of God being with us. This, we're his people, and ultimately, this structure is our hope. If that's going to crumble, what do we have? I would ask you guys, what is your hope in? What is your temple? And I don't mean that like a, you know, an idol or an icon. Just, what is your, your temple symbolically? Is it it a job that, like, as long as I have this, I feel like I have hope? Is it it a raise that you're looking forward to? 
Is it a home or a place? Is it a position that you have that you think, as long as I have this position, I'm safe, I've got hope? Is it a person? Is there a person that you think, as long as this person is on my side, as long as this person is with me, I have hope? What is the foundation of your hope? Where do you find it? Where do you put your energy into your hope? Because they were doing it with the temple. And if the temple can fall, there is nothing that can't fall. If the temple can crumble, remember, this is God's house. The temple is God's house. If that can fall, there is nothing that cannot fall. In fact, everything of this world will, please hear this, it will fail you. Every job, every raise, every home, every person, even your spouse, is going to fail you. Because this is a fallen, sinful world. And if you put hope in those things, at some point, you will be let down. You may even be crushed. Because you put so much into hoping in these things. And then, what happened? You got let go. What happened? They picked somebody else for the position. What happened? That person, intentionally or unintentionally, they didn't follow through. They betrayed you. There's no excuses. You just need to know that is the reality. No matter what your hope edifice is, it's going to crumble at some point because nothing in this world, even the temple of God, would last. Even that was shattered. I've got a couple of figures for you. 26 months. Six days a week over that 26 months. 3,000 laborers for that 26 months for six days a week. 246 injuries over that period of time. And eight fatalities over that period of time. That is what it took, the energy, the effort, the time, that is what it took to build the Titanic. The ship that was called unsinkable and it would be nothing more but a nuisance to the passengers. Now, if you're one of the passengers, I think you would describe what happened to that ship as quite a bit more than a nuisance. Here's another figure for you. 160 minutes. That's how long it took for the ship to sink. 160 minutes to sink the unsinkable. Two weeks. That's how long it took for the iceberg that sank the unsinkable ship to melt. Two weeks. There is nothing of this world that will not at some point fail. And here's the irony. If they were to build the Titanic today, as they did then, the equivalent in currency is $166 million to build the Titanic. To make the movie, The Titanic, it cost $200 million. 
It costs more to fake the Titanic than to build it. And yet, when we are putting our hope in things that really can't last, it will cost us more than if we would just put our hope in that which does. Because all the energy, all the emotion, all the effort, everything we put in trying to hope in all of these things, and eventually one falls here, one lets us down here, one crumbles here, and we suffer from it. But we are offered hope in something real. And that is actually what this entire passage is about. Before I read this, the way that Paul writes it to Titus, he says it this way. We have a blessed hope. A blessed hope. And then he defines it. The coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And that's what he's doing here. You see, their question was not even about the end times. Their question was about hope. It was about this building that represented for them God's presence and God's purposes and God's hope for them. Oh my goodness, it's going to fall? Yes, it is, Jesus says. However, I have something greater for you than that building. Church, he has something greater than any job, raise, position, home, place, person, boat in this world for every one of us. And that's what this whole thing is about. Verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, I'm just going to read a little bit, little tiny comments. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Let me just start right here by saying a bunch of people are going to come and they're going to try and lead you astray. They're going to try to tell you things that are not true. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Remember the vagueness? Yes, all these things are going to happen and have been happening for 2,000 years. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness to them. You stay firm. Stay with me. Don't follow the false prophets. Recognize things are going to happen like this. This is just part of moving towards my coming again. And then when they call you to stand up for me, do it. And the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And they will bring you to trial and deliver you over. Do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say. Just trust me. Just get up there before them and let the Spirit work. Because I'm in all of this. But say whatever is given you in that hour. Boy, how uncomfortable is that? I mean, like I want everything prepared as much ahead of time as possible. I want to know exactly what I'm going to do, exactly what I'm going to say. And No, that very hour will be given to you. Just trust me. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's just a glimmer of hope in this entire thing, no matter what happens. Even as, as awful, tragic, horrible as this is, even when family goes against family. Endure and you still will be saved. I guarantee it. 
Verse 14, but now he's actually going to answer their question. Their question was, when will these things happen? When will the building tumble? But when you see the abomination of desolation, and very quickly that's happened already before this point, it'll happen again at the end times, and it happened in 70 AD. Um, This is a generic phrase, and it's a reference to something abominable happening with the temple. It happened with Antiochus. It'll happen again in 70 AD. It'll happen again in the end times with the Antichrist. Um, It's not a limited phrase. His response right now is to tell them when these things will happen. And, And he doesn't say it, but it's 70 AD. Standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Again, if this is just the end, most of what he says right here doesn't make a lot of sense. If it's the end, it's the end. No fleeing is going to do you any good. But when the temple is being destroyed, it will do you good. Flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, not enter the house, not take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says, look, here is the Christ, or look, there is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise. Now he's relating back to what he was saying. Perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But be on guard. I've told you these things beforehand. And then you finally get to the passage we read. And I know there is so much here. I'm not unpacking all of it. But here is the point. In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. Now he's back to what he was talking about before. The powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That is the very foundation of our hope. That he is coming back for us. That what we see here is not all we have. That whatever trial we're going through is not the end. That whatever thing we wished were different because it is so challenging now will be different. That the Son is going to return for his people. And this is what the hope is connected to all the way through the New Testament. You can read in Paul's letters almost every one of them. You can look at Hebrews You can look at Peter. They all talk about this idea of this hope. And it is a hope that is absolute, founded on the fact that Jesus is coming back for us. We know that. And we can look at everything differently because of that. There's a hospital system in a large city where the city provides for kids when they have to be hospitalized for long periods of time for their schooling. And so the city will provide a tutor to come into the hospital room and help the kids so they don't get too far behind. There was one teacher who was called on to do this. She got the boy's name. She got the room number. She headed to the hospital. She talked to the teacher who said, we're working on nouns and we're working on adverbs. I need you to work with him so he doesn't get too far behind. 
What she was not told is that the boy she was going to visit had been badly burned and was in a lot of pain still. And so when she walked into the room, she was taken aback. She stammered. I'm here to to teach you nouns and adverbs. And by the time she left the room, she felt like she had probably accomplished nothing because of how nervous and how awkward and everything that it was. Now she came back a few days later to do it again. And the nurse came up to her and said, what did you do with that boy? And she goes, I'm so sorry. I'm, I just, and the nurse cut her off. No, no, you don't understand. I've never seen him like this before. After you left, he perked up. He, uh, he started responding to treatment. It was as if he wanted to live finally. Up to that point, we just didn't know. And the boy said to them, I didn't have any hope that I was going to live. But, and he said it in this way, when you, you don't send a teacher in to teach adverbs and nouns to a dying boy, right? If she's coming in, you all think I'm going to live. And, and so I have a new hope. I don't know how it's going to work. I got to go through all this stuff, but like, I'm going to live. And there was hope there. Do you believe 2,000 years ago that Jesus came? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, guess what? You have every reason to believe he's coming again. He came into the hospital room already, saved our souls, gave us forgiveness, gave us the love of God in our lives, and said, I'm coming back. This is not all there is. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with your families. I'm not done with this world. I know things may look awful right now. I know you may go through times where you just don't know how you can even make it. But I'm telling you, I'm coming back. I am not finished with you. And that is a hope that is as certain as his first coming. It's as certain as his words to them in 30 AD that the temple that looked so impervious 40 years later would be destroyed. And it was. And that's why he says to them a little while later, my words will never fail. Because what he says, you can bank on. What he says is as sure as having this. We've already got it. He came once. He's coming again. And everything we do can rest in that hope, that certainty that we have not been left. Dante wrote this. Through me, the way is to the suffering city. Through me, the way is to eternal pain. Through me, the way among the people lost. It was justice that moved my creator. Divine omnipotence created me. The highest wisdom and the primal love. Before me, there were no created things. Only eternity, and I too last eternal. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. If you're a believer, there's a very, very, very different gate. 
And it reads something like this. Through Jesus, the way to the glorious city. Through Jesus, the way to eternal life. Through Jesus, the way among a people found. It was love that moved the creator, divine love that sent the son, the highest grace and primal love. He was in the beginning and all things were made through him. He is eternal and he is life. Embrace all hope, ye who enter through him. That's our hope. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, for your Son we are forever grateful. For your love that you would give him for our sakes, we can never say thank you, never give anything in return that would ever amount to what you have done. Lord, in this season, let us stand on the assurance that Jesus' first trip was not in vain, but he is coming back. That we have a hope that is as certain as your promises are certain. And we can rest in it. We can rest in your word, in your love, and in the return of our Savior every single day of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.